One Week Season. NFL Edge Audio. 49ers at Steelers. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 41. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. The 49ers offense enters the season fully healthy and looks to pick up where they left off, torching scoreboards to end 2022. Pittsburgh has invested a lot of draft capital into their offense in recent years and is looking to cash in on that investment this season. The 49ers defense is likely to once again be one of the top units in the league, while the Steelers defense should also provide a formidable challenge to opponents. Both teams feature second-year quarterbacks whose main objective is to distribute the ball to their plethora of high-quality skill players. The excitement around the big names on offense could be quickly spoiled by distinct advantages both defenses have at the line of scrimmage. How San Francisco Will Try to Win The 49ers under Kyle Shanahan have built their team in a very specific way, and that vision came full circle at the end of last season when Brock Purdy took over at QB and the 49ers led the NFL in scoring for the remainder of the year, scoring 30-plus points in six of eight games before Purdy's elbow injury in the conference championship game. The 49ers were tied for the slowest tempo in 2022 at 31 seconds per snap, while also ranking 29th in the league in pass rate. The 49ers make up for their methodical offensive approach through elite efficiency and big play abilities thanks to a meticulously designed offense and a murderer's row of skill players. In the same way many of us have a type we are looking for in the dating realm, the 49ers have a type, and they have loaded up on them. Players who can make incredible things happen with the ball in their hands. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle keep defenses honest, and Kyle Shanahan's creativity in personnel packages, formations, and play design puts all of them in a position to make plays. Looking to 2023, we shouldn't expect much change for this well-oiled machine. They really have no reason to alter their tempo or approach. They mix up their play calls, use misdirection, and find ways to stress the defense, both vertically and horizontally, forcing their opponent to defend every part of the field. The biggest obstacle facing them in their Week 1 matchup with the Steelers is the fact that Pittsburgh notoriously has a very good run defense, ranking top 5 by most metrics in 2022, and projects to be similarly strong this year. Likewise, the Pittsburgh pass rush is very strong. And if this San Francisco offense has an Achilles heel this year, it is likely going to be their offensive line. The obvious counter to that, however, is that the 49ers passing game is designed to get the ball out quickly to the playmakers and that approach can often neutralize an opposing pass rush. I would think that given Purdy's injury to end last season, the 49ers will make a concerted effort to give him adequate protection and get the ball out quickly. This offense versus defense matchup is, in my opinion, perhaps the most interesting X's and O's matchup of the opening week. Two seasons ago, the Steelers beat the Bills and Josh Allen in week one by altering their approach and dropping a lot of players back into zone coverage, therefore flooding the secondary with defenders and allowing them to contain Allen's rushing lanes. I wonder if Pittsburgh could employ a similar strategy in this matchup as a way to contain the 49ers' elite run-after-catch weapons. The Steelers know that Brock Purdy is not an elite scrambling quarterback, so if they throw off his timing by dropping defenders into coverage, they may be able to completely knock the 49ers out of rhythm. The Steelers ranked 6th in the NFL in blitz percentage in 2022, so an approach like this would be slightly out of character for them, but it would make a ton of sense given the opponent and length of preparation time. 
The danger the Steelers would have if they are blitz-happy is they leave themselves vulnerable to one broken tackle leading to massive chunks of yards and explosive plays for the 49ers offense. It will be a really interesting chess match to watch, and I'll be glued to this one. How Pittsburgh will try to win Similar to San Francisco, the Steelers have a very good core of skill players and a young quarterback who likely doesn't have the tools to be truly elite, but should have the opportunity to act as a point guard distributing the ball and benefiting from the team he has around him. The Steelers' backfield has two very capable backs in Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. Harris is a former first-round pick who battled a foot injury last year, but looks slimmer and quicker now that he hasn't any point since he entered the league. Warren is a slippery and explosive back whose diminutive frame and ability to catch the ball make him a perfect complement to Harris. Both of these backs will get work, and the fantasy community will be watching closely to see exactly how that work is divided up. The passing game should have three primary targets in receivers Deontay Johnson and George Pickens, along with tight end Pat Fryermuth. Johnson has finished top six in the league in targets for three consecutive years and is an elite route runner and separator. He just finds ways to get open. Johnson also had a historically bad run of TD luck in 2022, failing to find the end zone on 147 targets. Meanwhile, Pickens is an elite athlete who excels at making contested catches, but has shown a somewhat limited route tree to start his career. Rumors out of camp are that he will expand on that this year, but once again, that is something that takes a bit of a leap of faith to believe before you see it. Kenny Pickett looked great in the preseason and was pushing the ball downfield against vanilla defenses that were often resting their starters. Now comes a true test right out of the gates against an elite 49ers defense that pressures the quarterback, was second in the league in forced turnovers last season, and ranked top five against both the run and the pass. Frankly, I find it hard to believe in this game that the Steelers will try to turn things loose early. Quick, easy reads in the passing game, along with a heavy dose of their 1-2 running back punch, seems like the most logical approach early in the game. While San Francisco's defense showed some weaknesses at times this year, those were usually exploited by a high-end passing offense and or an elite offensive line, neither of which are descriptions that fit the Steelers at this point. I believe the Steelers will be able to move the ball a bit early in this game, but touchdowns may be hard to find without some spectacular plays. Likeliest Game Flow as alluded to earlier, the Steelers' defensive approach may be the most important variable in terms of how this game plays out. Let's look at this from an if-then statement perspective. If the Steelers' defense has its usual aggressive and blitzing approach, then 1. They will be successful, forcing sacks and turnovers that help them build a lead and force San Francisco's offense out of its shell. Short fields would also likely lead to more Pittsburgh scoring early and also give them more chances to bust things open later in the game as the 49ers get more aggressive defensively. Or, 2. The 49ers will handle the pressure and be able to get the ball to their playmakers in one-on-one -on -one situations, which will inevitably lead to some explosive plays and the 49ers likely jumping out on top of the Steelers. This would allow the 49ers defense to tee off on an overmatched Pittsburgh offensive line. If the Steelers change things up and drop more guys into coverage while significantly lowering their blitz rate, then the 49ers offense will likely have more stable drives, but will have to work their way down the field and will be more prone to field goals. This would result in a lot of long, clock-killing drives for both teams as Pittsburgh's offense would feel less pressure to keep up and the game would effectively be shortened by two teams running balanced offenses and lacking explosive plays. My belief is that the Steelers will go with the lower variance approach and will try to keep this game close and win it late. Pittsburgh won six of their last seven games in 2022 while scoring over 20 points only three times. 
I would expect them to be just fine employing a similar game plan in this matchup with an NFC powerhouse. Obviously, anything can happen in the NFL, especially in Week 1, when we don't know as much about these teams as we would like to believe, and this matchup in particular will be extremely fascinating to watch play out. There are a lot of data points and logic that point to a slugfest, but all it would take are a couple of big plays to turn this thing loose, and we certainly have the personnel on the field to make that happen. Get your popcorn ready. Cardinals at Commanders. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 40 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. The Cardinals are a genuine threat for the title this year, of the worst organization in the league. Complete dumpster fire. Arizona holds Houston's first round pick for the 2024 draft, meaning they have a path to two of the top five selections in the coming draft. The Cardinals released veteran QB Colt McCoy and placed Kyler Murray on the physically unable to perform list, meaning they'll start the season with either recent trade acquisition Joshua Dobbs or rookie Clayton Toon at quarterback. The Commanders boast a legitimate top five defensive line and get the honor of teeing off against a bottom three offensive line. Washington DST is the best on-paper play at the position on the week, with the top consideration to not play them residing in the realm of leverage, salary allocation, and variance. Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson should share the load in the backfield for the Commanders, but each has a path to 100 yards and two touchdowns in this spot. How Arizona will try to win. Franchise quarterback Kyler Murray will begin the season on the league's physically unable to perform, or PUP list, as he works his way back from a torn ACL suffered in week 14 of 2022. That means he will miss the first four weeks of the regular season, at minimum. The team also released veteran Colt McCoy during roster cutdowns, leaving them in the hands of either veteran journeyman Joshua Dobbs, who was added to the roster via trade with the Browns two weeks prior to the team's opening game, or fifth-round rookie Clayton Toon for week one. New head coach Jonathan Gannon comes over from his previous position as defensive coordinator for the Eagles, while new offensive coordinator Drew Petzing will get his first chance to call plays, having never served as an OC at any level. All of this goes along with a roster-wide purge of players in the final year of their contract. The Cardinals ranked second in pace of play in 2022 at 27 seconds per play, a number we should expect to decrease considering the changes in coaching. One final consideration for the Cardinals this year is their draft day acquisition of the Texans' first-round draft pick in 2024, bringing with it the potential for Arizona to end the season with two top-five picks in the coming year's draft. All of that to say, we shouldn't have high hopes for the Arizona offense or defense this year. The Cardinals' offensive line generated bottom-five numbers in adjusted line yards a season ago and arguably got worse in the trenches, at least as far as run blocking goes. Their interior offensive line is a consensus bottom-two unit heading into the new season, while the addition of rookie Paris Johnson Jr. to play opposite DJ Humphreys at tackle will help in pass protection. Only center Yelda Froholt graded out as an above-average lineman in run blocking against the starting five last year. The Commanders are fresh off a season in which they allowed the 11th-fewest rush yards per game at a respectable 4.4 yards per carry allowed, and that was during a season where they struggled with injuries and inconsistent play. Now fully healthy, Washington boasts a legitimate top five, maybe even top three, defensive line on paper. Finally, starting running back James Conner finished the 2022 season in the bottom half of the league in yards before contact, a trend we should expect to continue into 2023. Conner's saving grace is his expected volume. He is fresh off a season where he averaged a 70.5% snap share, 71.7% team opportunity share, 
and 53.2% route participation rate. Volume and pass game usage will be needed considering his well below average true yards per carry, 4.2. The Cardinals also showed their hand in the backfield this offseason after releasing veteran Corey Clement at the roster cut deadline. This backfield should be Connors, with a sprinkle of 2022 sixth-rounder Keontae Ingram and potentially 2023 undrafted free agent Amari Demercado. It's difficult to analyze how the Cardinals will attempt to win through the air due to the multitude of unknowns surrounding their quarterback and team dynamics at the moment. While we don't have a good idea of expected overall pass rates or pace of play, we do have a solid insight into the personnel we expect to be on the field. Veteran tight end Zach Ertz suffered a multiple ligament knee injury late in the season last year, but will begin the new year clear of the pup list. That said, we shouldn't expect a massive snap rate should he play in week one. That should leave significant early season work for second-year tight end Trey McBride. Preseason utilization with the first team indicates that veteran wide receiver Zach Pascal and rookie Michael Wilson are likely fighting for the starting X role on the perimeter and are likely to play over Rondell Moore from heavy sets, 21 and 12 personnel. Moore quickly became one of the more overdrafted wide receivers in the middle of the best ball draft window. Marquise Brown should command a significant share of the targets in this offense, but has a declining team target market share and an ADOT in each of the previous two seasons. How Washington will try to win. We have an interesting dichotomy with the Commanders to start the 2023 season. On one hand, head coach Ron Rivera has typically sided with grinding out victories in situations such as these throughout his coaching career. On the other hand, new offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy all but certainly took a lateral move from the OC of the Kansas City Chiefs to the same position for the Commanders as a stepping stone to a potential head coach position, meaning he is likely viewing this season as an audition of sorts. Said another way, we should not be shocked if Washington takes a conservative approach in a game they should win handily, nor should we be shocked if they come out and try to run up 35-plus points against an inferior opponent. What I do expect to see this year from the Commanders is a relative Chiefs light as far as the offensive design and scheme goes. In fact, the offensive weapons on the 2023 version of the Commanders are objectively better on paper, outside of some guy named Patrick Mahomes, when compared to the 2022 Chiefs. The first similarity to the 2022 Chiefs that I expect from the Commanders is a dual-headed backfield, with one of two contributors being utilized as a schemed usage in the open field type player. That player is likeliest to be Antonio Gibson, with a similar setup to what we saw out of Jarek McKinnon in the second half of the 2022 season after McCole Hardman went down with an injury. Hardman was the primary schemed usage gadget player prior to his injury. That leaves Brian Robinson more likely to mirror what we saw out of Isaiah Pacheco after he took over the early down role fully during the second half of the season. That said, preseason usage seemed to indicate an extreme level of juxtaposition between these two, each likely to be utilized with more fluidity and likely to see some of those schemed looks in addition to between the tackles work. A nearly even split of early down, passing down, and scheme work would likely mean sporadic spike weeks from both backs. One thing we know with a high degree of certainty is that the backfield is unlikely to be shared by more than these two. It is worth noting here, in the rushing part of this write-up, that quarterback Sam Howell is not a rushing quarterback so much as a quarterback with escapability to his game. As in, we shouldn't expect multiple 100-yard rushing games from Dwayne McFarland's doppelganger. Howell is more a quarterback with above-average awareness and pocket presence who isn't afraid to escape or extend plays with his legs if the pocket is collapsing or he doesn't like his reads. Things get pretty interesting fast with this passing unit. The wide receiver trio of Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, and Curtis Samuel is one of the most talented trios in the league this year if you consider the average talent of all three players. 
Expect McLaurin and Dotson to be capable of layered routes over the intermediate to deep areas of the field, while Samuel, the tight ends, and the running backs maneuver over the short to intermediate areas. If we compare the archetype of player that saw schemed usage in Kansas City to the players currently on the commander's roster, Curtis Samuel is the one likeliest to operate in a Demi-Hardman role. Considering the presence of three legitimate wide receivers and two backs that are likeliest to be utilized in sequence rather than in tandem, this offense is likely to operate from an 11 personnel base. Whether the majority of tight end snaps lands on veteran Logan Thomas's shoulders or the second-year youth of Cole Turner remains to be seen, but it is at least noteworthy that Turner played almost the entirety of the preseason with the starters while Thomas was out with yet another injury. It is also worth noting that Turner is currently listed third on the depth chart, but played over Bates. Likeliest Game Flow The Cardinals are highly unlikely to drive many game environments this season, between a relative lack of talent on offense and a coaching staff likely to take a rebuilding approach to the season. That leaves the onus on the commanders to assert their will on the flow and overall environment here, which leaves things with an extremely wide range of outcomes as far as what we should expect from a team with contrasting styles between their head coach and offensive coordinator. That said, it is highly unlikely the Cardinals are able to return shots enough to truly send the environment into something you had to have or you weren't winning GPPs. Panthers at Falcons. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 43 and a half. Game Overview by Pappy. Bijan Robinson has as much upside as any running back on the slate, with likely lower ownership. The Falcons' offensive line is one of the best in the league. Miles Sanders is underpriced for his projected volume. The Panthers have all new skill players on offense. How Carolina will try to win. The Panthers went into lose-now mode last year, firing their admittedly inept head coach, riding a QB carousel, and trading away their most valuable on-field asset, Christian McCaffrey, midway through the season. Lose-now wasn't a bad strategy. The 2022 Panthers weren't going anywhere, and CMC was only getting older. Despite their best efforts to rebuild, sometimes the NFL is a funny place. After starting 1-4 and and essentially throwing in the towel, the Panthers' season turned around. They finished the year 6-6 six and, six and almost won the pathetic NFC South at 7-10. In the process, they dropped all the way down to number 9 in the draft. The Panthers front office had their heart set on the number 1 pick, win or lose, and promptly shipped 4 picks plus DJ Moore to the Bears for the right to draft Bryce Young. They now enter 2023 with Frank Reich in charge, long one of the NFL's most adaptable coaches. Reich's recent failures with the Colts aside, he has always been an above-average NFL coach. There isn't much purpose in trying to draw conclusions about how the Panthers will attack based on last year, since not only do they have a new coach, but they also have an entirely new offense. Bryce Young takes over at QB, the $6.3 million man Miles Sanders is the new running back in town, and DJ Chark, Jonathan Mingo, and Adam Thielen are all new additions. Heck, even Hayden Hurst joined the roster. There aren't many teams with entirely different skill position players from a year ago, but that is the case with the 2023 Panthers. One thing we do know is that Reich has always been the type of coach who will attack a weakness rather than taking a we-do-what-we-do approach to offense. Last year, the Falcons were a sieve against the run, 23rd in DVOA, and the pass, 30th in DVOA. And even though they brought in a lot of new veteran faces, defensive end Calais Campbell, defensive tackle David Onyemata, outside linebacker Bud Dupree, inside linebacker Caden Ellis, free safety Jesse Bates, and cornerback Jeff Okuda, plus a new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen from New Orleans, this unit still projects as below average. 
The Panthers' O-line is mostly the same group as last year, with the addition of fourth-rounder Chandler Zavala. The Panthers were 10th in rushing DVOA last season, and their O-line projects as a middling unit, 16th rated by PFF, that is stronger at run blocking. Expect the Panthers to try and win on the ground to limit their rookie QB's mistakes in his first NFL start, but don't be surprised if they open things up if necessary. Reich wants to win now, and he should be willing to change game plans if his team needs to catch up. How Atlanta will try to win The Falcons came into last year with bottom-of-the-barrel expectations and almost won the sorry NFC South at 7-10. Despite missing the playoffs, Atlanta must be happy with Arthur Smith's first year as head coach. Coming from an offensive line background, Smith got a lot more out of his offensive line than expected, especially in run blocking. He gave the Falcons an identity on offense, even if it was a bit extreme, the league's number one rushing rate, and he doubled down in the draft, selecting Bijan Robinson in the first round. While the merits of using a high pick on a running back, especially when you have a capable running back, can be debated, there is no debate that Robinson is a stud who will be leaned on heavily. There are rumblings out of Atlanta that they want to be more balanced this season, and while they may not be as run-dominant as last season, there is no reason to expect that their core philosophy will change from ground and pound. The Falcons' offensive line outperformed expectations last year. Right guard Chris Lindstrom was Pro Football Focus's highest-grade run blocker in the league and they use their second-round pick on left guard Matthew Bergeron, who should shore up their only weak spot up front from last year. PFF ranks the Falcons' line highly, 7th overall, but that might be conservative. This is an elite unit, especially in run blocking, that is going up against the Panthers' below-average run defense, 18th in DVOA. The Panthers brought in two new faces on the D-line, Deshaun Williams and Shai Tuttle, but this is still a matchup that favors the Falcons in the trenches. The Panthers were victimized through the air last year, 26th in DVOA, but a lot of that ranking was achieved with cornerback J.C. Horn injured. Expect the Falcons to come out looking to make them stop their new weapon at running back before feeling the need to open the game plan. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a low total, 39.5, with the Falcons projected as modest 2.5 point favorites at home. The market is projecting this game to be competitive, with the most likely game flow being a grinded-out affair between two teams who would rather take it easy on their QBs. The Falcons aren't in any rush to make Desmond Ritter win games, and the Panthers are going to try and ease Bryce Young into the league. The ground games are likely to be successful, and both teams are going to be happy to ride their new running backs. The most likely game flow is one with a lot of running and clock bleeding, which is ultimately determined by the team who makes fewer mistakes. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Texans at Ravens. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 45 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. When asked about his role through the air this season, running back J.K. Dobbins responded, You'll see. Newcomer offensive coordinator Todd Monken brings layered passing concepts and a general shift in offensive identity to Baltimore. The Ravens completely retooled their pass-catching core and now boast a wide receiver room with all three starters being former first-round draft picks in Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, and Odell Beckham Jr. John Harbaugh has been known for statement games throughout his tenure in Baltimore. This very well could be one of those games. First-time head coach and former 49ers defensive coordinator and defensive rookie of the year, D'Amico Ryans, inherits a defense with significant speed, talent, and youth in Houston. Rookie edge Will Anderson is going to be a problem in this league. 
Rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud is likely the limiting factor in what should be Houston's offensive philosophy. Control the ball, limit mistakes, and exploit mismatches over the short area of the field. How Houston will try to win. Head coach D'Amico Ryans and offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick both come over from the 49ers to form the youngest coaching staff in the league in conjunction with defensive coordinator Matt Burke. Slowick is a Kyle Shanahan coaching tree disciple and should carry those principles into his first stint as an offensive coordinator. When combined with Ryans as head coach, we should see an offense designed at maximizing efficiency and time of possession by generating mismatches and space in the short areas of the field. It is likely they stress minimizing mistakes and controlling the clock on offense while their young and athletic defense attempts to keep them in games. That may or may not prove difficult with a rookie quarterback, first-time play caller, and relative youth up and down the roster. Getting the run game established against the Ravens could prove an issue here after the Ravens continued their dominance against the run in 2022. Last year, the Ravens ranked third in yards allowed per carry, 3.9, fourth in yards allowed before contact, 1.19, and twelfth in yards allowed after contact, 2.67. Nose tackle Michael Pierce continues to be one of the best run stoppers in the league, and the Ravens were able to post those numbers with Pierce missing all but the first three games of the 2022 season. Yeah, this is not the best matchup for Slowick in the Houston Rush game to see to open the season. The other side of that argument is the robust expected workload for second-year running back Damian Pierce, who saw an absolute stranglehold on the usage with the starters in the preseason. If we consider only preseason usage as an indicator of what to expect in the regular season, Pierce should be considered one of the final remaining workhorse running backs in the league. Whether or not that usage continues into this season remains to be seen, but Pierce appears set for true elite volume this year. Journeyman Devin Singletary and Mike Boone are on hand to soak up any change of pace duties left by Pierce. The Houston pass offense is one of the youngest groups in the league, helmed by rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud, with a pass-catching core consisting of second-contract tight end Dalton Schultz, veteran wide receiver Robert Woods, third-year breakout candidate Nico Collins, and slot duties likely to be split between Noah Brown and effective rookie John Mechie. Expect an aerial offense designed to generate mismatches within the first five to seven yards of the line of scrimmage, which likely benefits Collins and Schultz the most. The Baltimore linebackers and secondary received a shot of adrenaline this offseason through the additions of Roquan Smith, Jadavian Clowney, Arthur Mollett, and Rock Yassin, with the biggest concern for the Ravens being the amount of turnover instead of the level of talent. That could provide enough room for Houston to take advantage of communication errors that might occur early in the season, but this Baltimore defense is rock solid on paper. How Baltimore will try to win The big news out of Baltimore is the hiring of offensive coordinator Todd Monken. Monken offenses have historically been built to create layered mismatches through the air, and now he has the distinct privilege of working with all-pro tight end Mark Andrews, three former first-round wide receivers in Rashad Bateman, Odell Beckham Jr., and Zay Flowers, and former MVP Lamar Jackson. To say the ways of the run-first Baltimore offense have faded into the wind is likely a gross understatement. Furthermore, we can expect, with a relatively high degree of certainty, that this offense will be looking to establish their dominance early in the season after such a drastic shift in identity when you consider their head coach, John Harbaugh. This is also the most talented roster the Ravens have had in some time, from top to bottom, on both sides of the ball. The Ravens boast a top 10 offensive line on paper. The weakness, on paper, is likely at left guard, with the team appearing likely to be forced to start 6th round rookie guard Malasala Amuve Laulu. The 24-year-old out of Oregon could prove to be a draft day steal after grading out well by PFF in both pass protection and run blocking in his senior season. 
The running back room brings familiar names with the return of J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill, all of whom we should expect to contribute throughout the regular season. Dobbins, the unquestioned starter, has managed more than 50% of the offensive snaps in only three games throughout his three-year NFL career, one season of which was lost due to a torn ACL, LCL, meniscus, and hamstring in 2021. Houston's run defense has a long way to go after ranking near the bottom of the league in yards allowed per carry, defensive rush EPA, yards allowed before contact, and yards allowed after contact a season ago. First off, any decrease in slot snap rate expected from tight end Mark Andrews should be more than made up for by a boost to overall pass volume this year. As in, we expect the Baltimore offense to move from one of the highest rates of heavy sets, 21 and 12 personnel, towards an offense based in 11 personnel, which could influence Andrews' typically high slot snap rate. That said, we also expect the pass offense to see a significant boost to overall volume, which should serve to offset any dip in per-route upside that Andrews could experience. Furthermore, Monken should look to generate as many mismatches as possible through his offensive scheme, which bodes well for Andrews and the mismatches he has been able to take advantage of throughout his career. He's simply too big for safeties to cover, too fast for linebackers to cover, and too smart to be bottled down by zone coverages. The Ravens also get injected with the rookie pass catcher with the most upside out of this year's draft class, in my opinion, with the addition of Zay Flowers. Jordan Addison is a known quantity and elite route technician, but Flowers brings blazing 4.42 speed and elite college production to an offense tailor-made to maximize that athletic profile. All three of Flowers, Bateman, and Beckham Jr. are likely to provide relative spike weeks throughout the season, but it is Flowers and Bateman that bring the highest weekly upside for players not named Mark Andrews. It's an interesting setup for the Ravens to open the season as Houston actually boasts a formidable secondary and improving pass rush after they added what could turn out to be the best overall player in this year's class, Will Anderson. Likeliest Game Flow It is likely up to Baltimore to drive the game environment here, with Houston likely to want to establish a clock control mindset to begin the season. The good, or at least interesting, part of that equation is that the Ravens have a head coach who has not been afraid to assert dominance in games or keep his foot on the gas in certain situations during his tenure in Baltimore, which very much could be the case to begin the season considering the drastic shift in offensive design expected from newcomer offensive coordinator Todd Monken. The clear weakness of the Houston defense is on the ground, but that does not mean that Baltimore won't look to the air as much as possible here. That also leaves a relatively wide range of potential outcomes from this game environment because we don't know for sure how the Texans would respond to a negative game environment considering their first-time play caller and rookie quarterback. One thing we can say with a high degree of confidence is that we expect the Ravens to find some level of success here and the narrative opens the door to Baltimore pieces without the need for a correlated bringback. Bengals at Browns. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over-under, 47. Game Overview by Low. One of the more interesting game environments of the week, with my ultimate interest likely to come down to expected ownership. Lou Anarumo remains one of the most intricate defensive philosophizers in the league, but has been prone to overcommitment in certain situations. As in, he has a tendency to overanalyze certain situational play-calling spots during a game, which can expose his defense to unwarranted mismatches. Anarumo lost two top-level safeties this offseason, which could exacerbate those tendencies to start the season. Newcomer defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz should instill a defense primarily based on man coverage alignments based on previous coaching tendencies. Surprise, surprise, Jamar Chase represents the clearest path to this game environment opening up after posting truly absurd numbers against primary man coverages in 2022. 
How Cincinnati will try to win. It was a tale of two seasons for the Bengals as far as offensive tendencies went. The Bengals ran a neutral offense during the first five weeks of the 2022 season, but led the league in pass rate over expectation from week six on. From my offensive preview of this team, the Bengals returned the bulk of their offense after finishing the previous two seasons, ranked 7th and ninth in points per game respectively. The biggest changes for the offense heading into 2023 are the additions of left tackle Orlando Brown and tight end Irv Smith, each of whom should be considered a significant upgrade at their respective positions. The offensive core of quarterback Joe Burrow, wide receivers Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and running back Joe Mixon have all played together for the previous three seasons, adding a level of continuity that is seemingly unmatched around the league. The Bengals and the rest of the AFC North get a solid break through the NFL schedule makers, with eight of their games in 2023 coming against AFC South and NFC West opponents, two divisions that should be considered amongst the weaker divisions in the league. One of the more unheralded aspects of the bull case to be made for the Bengals entering 2022 is the departure of two of the better safeties in the league, Jesse Bates and Von Bell, both of whom departed this offseason in free agency. The defense did add one of the better nickel corners through the addition of Mike Hilton, but the state of their secondary adds to a level of expected, or projected, aggression from their offense that should serve to bolster expected pass numbers this year. As in, it is possible the Bengals are involved in more shootouts when compared to the previous three seasons. I include that in the write-up for Week 1 because that is one of the more surefire assertions I made this offseason. The run game saw Samaje Pirine depart in free agency, likely to be replaced by either Travion Williams or Chris Evans. Rookie fifth-round back Chase Brown is likelier to serve as depth for the early down role than he is to contribute as a change of pace or pass-down specialist. Williams missed the entirety of the preseason but is expected to be healthy on Sunday, while Evans seemingly was on track to overtake Williams for the change of pace role prior to an injury of his own in preseason. Either way, it is highly likely the backfield dynamics remain similar to what we saw last season, with Joe Mixon the lead back and either Williams or Evans mixing in for a change of pace role. The Browns ranked 30th in rush defense EPA a season ago, but the shift to a scheme with heavier roots and man coverages should help to bolster that number moving forward, considering the likely allocation of additional assets to the box. That should help to lower the significant 1.81 yards allowed before contact allowed by this defense in 2022. Re-emphasizing the above excerpt, the heart of this offense should continue to be the pass offense, primarily running through Chase with a significant supporting cast of T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Irv Smith. As we hammered throughout the 2022 season, T. Higgins was closer to a true two than he was to the co-alpha that the field seemed to think he was throughout the bulk of last year meaning his inclusion in the supporting cast section of the previous sentence was purposeful. Furthermore, the hit rate of quarterback Joe Burrow was almost directly tied to the production of Chase, but we did see a couple of games where an additional member of the offense provided a GPP-worthy score in conjunction with Burrow and Chase. One of the most interesting angles in this game is to think through the likeliest path to an explosion, which likely comes via Jamar Chase against a defensive scheme that we expect to utilize increased rates of man coverage. Of qualified pass catchers, Chase ranked third in fantasy points per route run against man coverage in 2022, behind only Christian Watson and Jerry Judy. That setup provides a clear path to eruption from the Cincinnati Pass offense. How Cleveland will try to win. The heart of this Cleveland team remains the offensive line. They enter the 2023 season with yet another top two on-paper depth chart in the trenches. Ethan Posick, fresh off a breakout season following his acquisition from Seattle, filled in admirably in 2022 after the team moved on from longtime center J.C. Treader. Wyatt Teller and Joel Petonio formed the top guard tandem in the league, 
and tackles Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin are two of the most talented tackles. The biggest problem on the edge has been mental lapses, as Wills and Conklin combined to commit 21 penalties a season ago. Finally, all five starters from a season ago returned to bring continuity and experience. The rest of the offense is filled with talent, but remains tied to the prospective resurgence of quarterback Deshaun Watson after a spotty showing during the back half of the 2022 season following his suspension. Offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt has extensive experience coaching quarterbacks at the NFL level and now takes on the additional duty of quarterback's coach, charged with returning Watson to his previous Pro Bowl form. The offense should continue to revolve around the run game first and foremost, which the passing game should be built around. The team allowed Kareem Hunt to disappear into the depths of free agency this offseason and did little to address the depth behind him outside of trading for Pierre Strong leading up to the start of the regular season. It remains to be seen if that translates to an increased workload for starter Nick Chubb, but there is a definite opportunity for him to see his role grow. As things currently stand, the team holds just three backs on the roster, so expect off-season darling Jerome Ford and the newly acquired Strong to mix in for whatever role is left behind by Chubb. Strong has the inside track to meaningful snaps to begin the season after the coaching staff lauded his pass protection and growth in the run game this offseason, with head coach Kevin Stefanski going as far as to say he, Ford, is ready for everything Chubb doesn't take. The upside for this rushing attack behind one of the top offensive lines in the league is borderline limitless. The passing game brings an extremely wide range of weekly outcomes, primarily inhibited by the uncertainty surrounding Watson. That said, alpha wide receiver Amari Cooper remains one of the top route technicians in the league. Tight end David Njoku remains on the precipice of a true breakout campaign. After posting elite efficiency metrics and red zone usage a season ago, Donovan Peoples-Jones remains an intriguing upside case for his downfield role. Elijah Moore was brought in to inject dynamism into the offense, and rookie third-round wide receiver Cedric Tillman is lying in the wings ready to contribute when called upon. Basically, the Browns have talent up and down the offensive side of the roster, but the ultimate performance of the offense likely comes down to how Watson performs this year. The matchup through the air is a difficult one conceptually against Lou Anarumo's varied schematic looks, but this roster has the talent to exploit virtually any matchup thrown their way this year. Likeliest Game Flow this game carries the second highest game total for a reason, as each offense holds elite personnel and offensive play callers. Furthermore, each defense carries significant uncertainties introduced via changing coaching or personnel, safeties for Cincinnati, and defensive coordinator for Cleveland. Both defensive coordinators have also been known to place their defenses in unwarranted situational matchups due to aggressive situational play calling alignments and tendencies. That has historically led to splash plays against and can really open up a game environment. That said, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow missed the majority of the preseason and camp while dealing with a calf strain, and Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson showed significant signs of rust in his small sample of work following an elongated layoff a season ago. It should come as no surprise when I say that this game, like the majority of others in Week 1, brings an extremely wide range of outcomes as far as the game environment goes. Jaguars at Colts, kickoff Sunday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 43 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. Doug Peterson has a recent track record of aggression tailored to the game environment in which he finds himself, which is important to keep in mind when attacking this spot. The Colts' run defense is far better than their top-level metrics show from a season ago. The Indianapolis backfield should be led by Deion Jackson in the absence of Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss, but rookie fifth-round back Evan Hull is likely to mix in to some extent. 
The Colts offense is highly likely to go as Anthony Richardson goes, and he carries an extremely wide range of outcomes on any given week, albeit with an elevated rushing-induced floor. Clear avenues of attack if looking to target this game environment. Shane Steichen coaches his first game as the head coach for the Colts after spending the previous two seasons designing an offense for dual-threat quarterback Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. Deion Jackson represents an interesting decision point on this slate as a lead back priced near the minimum at 4100 How Jacksonville will try to win. Head coach Doug Peterson's offensive tendencies proved to be subject to game environment in 2022 as passing volume ebbed and flowed relative to their situation. That said, they still held the 12th highest pass rate over expectation on the season. To highlight that assertion, let's take a look at quarterback Trevor Lawrence's pass volume in varying game environments from last season. The Jaguars played in 10 games with a game total over 47 points last season. In those 10 games, Lawrence averaged 39.5 pass attempts per game. In the 7 games that had a game total under 47 points, Lawrence averaged just 34.7 pass attempts per game. Furthermore, in games where the Jaguars were favored by 3 or more points with a game total under 47 points, Lawrence averaged just 27.33 pass attempts per game. That last split is important, as it is exactly the situation the Jaguars find themselves in for Week 1 against the Colts. Jaguars minus 4.5, 45 game total. Jacksonville has also invested their first three picks in the 2023 NFL Draft into a first-round right tackle, a second-round blocking tight end, and a third-round running back by selecting Anton Harrison, Brenton Strange, and Tank Bigsby, respectively. The old adage of actions speak louder than words is ever-present with this team heading into the new season. The above discussion begins to make more sense when digging into this team's performance in the run game last year. The Jaguars managed a poor minus 1.44 expected points added EPA per rush from non-quarterback players in 2022, ranking just 21st in the league, while their EPA per dropback ranked 5th in the league. A more balanced offense as far as efficiency goes would do wonders for situational play calling, which is an area they largely struggled with a season ago. Regardless of the offseason hype surrounding rookie running back Tank Bigsby, Travis Etienne proved that he should still be viewed as the leader of this backfield based on preseason utilization with the starters. That said, Bigsby should be involved in all situations, with there being a legitimate chance that he has already usurped the incumbent starter for work near the goal line. I expect closer to a 60-40 split in utilization between the two particularly considering Etienne somewhat quietly held a lower than perception 60.1% opportunity share in this offense a season ago before the addition of Bigsby. The saving grace for Etienne last season was his 16 breakaway runs, which ranked 5th in the league. He'll likely need to maintain that higher per-touch efficiency considering a weak 7.8% target share in 2022, 31st in the league. By most metrics, the Colts' rush defense was a top-10 unit in 2022, 6th in defensive rush EPA, 5th in yards allowed per carry to non-quarterbacks, 13th in yards allowed before contact, 4th in yards allowed post-contact. But an uncharacteristic performance in the red zone, 25th ranked 25.55 carries per rushing touchdown allowed, led to poor top-level numbers. As in, if you dig beyond the top-level numbers, this is not exactly a defense we'll be looking to attack on the ground this year. That should make sense considering Gus Bradley as the defensive coordinator and the extreme talent they have in the front seven, but it's worth emphasizing early in the season due to their poor performance in rushing metrics to the untrained eye. We mentioned the extreme efficiency of this pass offense last season, which should invoke a feeling of instant intrigue after the offseason addition of wide receiver Calvin Ridley, who looked every bit the player that averaged 8.7 touchdowns per season during his first three years in the league, 
and broke out in 2020 to the tune of 90 catches for 1,374 yards and 9 scores. Basically, the team replaced the declining veteran Marvin Jones Jr. with a pass catcher in his prime with a proven record as an alpha. All of that while retaining spry slotman Christian Kirk, established X-type wide receiver Zay Jones, and athletic tight end Evan Ingram. There's a lot to be excited about from this pass offense this season. The only problem for Week 1 is how much we trust Peterson to keep his foot on the gas if we see rookie Richardson. How Indianapolis will try to win Shane Steichen gets his first crack at head coach duties in Indianapolis this season after spending the previous two seasons designing an offense for Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. Jim Bob Cooter brings extensive coaching experience at the NFL level and will begin his second stint as an offensive coordinator this year for the Colts. The two will now be tasked with maximizing the talents of physically gifted rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson, who tested as the most athletic quarterback to come to the NFL ever. There's simply one catch. Richardson does not have many repetitions under his belt at the quarterback position and struggles with inaccuracy over the short to intermediate areas of the field. I think the easiest way to visualize what to expect from this offense was actually already shown to us in the third preseason game, where Richardson led three scoring drives, two touchdowns, both rushes, and a field goal, but every single other drive resulted in a three and out. The inefficiencies are going to be there with Richardson and the Colts this season, but the upside is tantalizing. Indianapolis will also start the season without their franchise running back, Jonathan Taylor, who through some combination of injury, bad blood, and contract dispute will miss the first four games of the regular season, at minimum, after being placed on the physically unable to perform list. Although we didn't see much of it in the preseason, I expect this offense to utilize play action, run pass option, pre-snap motion, and wide receiver carries as ways to manipulate opposing linebackers and safeties into opening up areas of the field for Richardson and the primary skill position players to exploit. The run game will likely flow through Deion Jackson, the presumed starter to begin the season, and rookie fifth-rounder Evan Hull during the first week or two. Zach Moss is the likely starter for however long Taylor remains out, but he is currently recovering from a broken arm suffered at the start of the preseason, which should take his recovery into the Week 2 to Week 4 timeframe. Jackson has two years of experience at the NFL level and filled in with two starts a season ago, taking 25 carries for 104 yards and one touchdown and adding 14 carries for an additional 108 yards during that span. The biggest issue is that comparing veteran checkdown artist Matt Ryan to Anthony Richardson is like comparing water to fire. They are as polar opposites as they come, meaning Richardson and Steichen are highly unlikely to design or execute many checkdowns to the running back position, nor include many designed passes to the backs. The matchup on the ground is not a good one against what could be the fastest composite defense in the league this year, one that allowed just 1.35 yards before contact per rush, 6th, and 2.79 yards after contact per rush, 13th, a season ago. Expect Hall to serve as the primary change of pace back early in the season. To highlight the state of the Colts' roster heading into the regular season, Indianapolis held just three wide receivers and five tight ends on their active roster through cuts, subsequently re-signing slotman Isaiah McKenzie and placing promising second-year tight end Jelani Woods on injured reserve. I would expect this team to utilize heavy rates of 12 personnel to open the season, with some combination of two of the healthy four tight ends, Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, on the field together. That leaves rookie slow man Josh Downs and McKenzie fighting for the remaining pass-catching snaps. During the preseason with the starters, Pittman commanded more than 35% of the available targets, while Pierce commanded more than 35% of the available air yards from Richardson, which gives you an idea of the concentration expected through the air from the Colts to begin the season. 
That's an interesting note if considering attacking this side of the ball here. Likeliest game flow. It is likeliest we see a rookie quarterback in his first NFL start, one that has had issues with accuracy to the short to intermediate areas of the field, struggle to sustain drives against what could be the fastest defense in the league if considering aggregate 40 times. That said, Richardson has certain intangibles that could truly spark any game environment he plays in this season after testing as the most athletically gifted quarterback to come out of college since combine tracking started. Consider both of these potential outcomes within the broader range of outcomes when constructing rosters this week, particularly if players from this game are going to garner ownership, as I think they will. Said another way, there appear to be two very clear paths to playing this game environment, both of which should be under-owned relative to the overall expected exposure from this game. More on this below, and in the end around and on the Slate podcast. Yeah, get inner circle. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Bucks at Vikings. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 46.5. Game Overview by Hilo. The Vikings move from defensive prevent artist Ed Donatel to the ultra-aggressive Brian Flores at defensive coordinator. Justin Jefferson should once again challenge for the league lead in targets and receptions, while Alexander Madison should finish in the top 12 in total volume at the running back position this season. Minnesota should find some level of success here. The question then becomes, how will Tampa Bay respond to being punched in the mouth? There is talent aplenty on both sides of this contest, but it is likely up to the Vikings to drive the game environment on offense, with the Buccaneers much more likely to want to manage the game. How Tampa Bay will try to win The strength of this Tampa Bay roster resides on the defensive side of the ball. First-time offensive coordinator Dave Canales comes to the team from his previous post as an offensive assistant in Seattle, where he helped manufacture a balanced offense that also had some elite talent and a journeyman quarterback, similar to these Buccaneers. Seattle's offense was built to maximize the talent on the field, which is a relative contrast to the previous Tampa Bay offense under Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, which was more tailored to generating one-on-one matchups and asking their players to win. I expect more pre-snap motion and a more layered and diverse route tree from Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Trey Palmer, and Kate Otten this year. But the core of this team rests with their defense, meaning we should see game plans built around minimizing mistakes and controlling the football on offense to start the season. Gone is Leonard Fournette in the 10th most weighted opportunities from a season ago, 244. The team did little to address backfield depth this offseason behind de facto starter Rashad White, bringing in veteran journeyman Chase Edmonds and signing electric rookie Sean Tucker as an undrafted free agent. Reports from Tampa Bay indicate it is likeliest to be Tucker who begins the season as the change of pace back behind White, the former of whom went undrafted due to concerns about his health rather than merit. That said, expect White to begin this season with a robust rollout of the backfield, capable as both a rusher and pass catcher. Starting quarterback Baker Mayfield has one of the highest checkdown rates of any quarterback over the previous five seasons, which could serve well to bolster White's weekly floor in full PPR formats. White will still need to find the end zone to carry any meaningful GPP-worthy ceiling on a weekly basis, which could be difficult to come by in this offense. The Buccaneers have one of the youngest offensive lines in the game currently, and also have their most talented player up front changing positions, Tristan Wirfs, from right tackle to left tackle meaning we could see this unit start slow this year. Russell Gage was lost for the season after suffering a torn patellar tendon in joint practices in mid-August, leaving this pass-catching core appearing to be extremely concentrated on paper 
amongst Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Kate Otten. Undervalued but electric rookie wide receiver Trey Palmer should stick as a starter from 11 personnel and brings a downfield element to the offense that had largely been missing over the previous two seasons. Reports from camp indicate an offensive design tailored to generating space within the first five yards of the line of scrimmage, which gives this offense some level of intrigue beyond the talent on the roster. As in, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Kate Otten with the ball in their hands in space is something we largely haven't seen throughout their respective careers and something that could generate some upside, even with Baker Mayfield under center. How Minnesota will try to win Minnesota's major offseason changes include a change at defensive coordinator from the ultra-conservative Ed Donatel to the ultra-aggressive Brian Flores, the addition of rookie-wide receiver Jordan Addison via a first-round selection in the NFL draft, and the departure of electric running back Dalvin Cook. The franchise also just made TJ Hawkinson the richest tight end in history on both total money and per-year level, an extension that occurred following the team's final preseason game. Expect an offense run from 11 personnel base, with sporadic 12 and 21 personnel utilization, primarily via additional snaps from fullback CJ Ham and tight end Josh Oliver. The Vikings finished last season averaging the third most pass attempts per game at 39.6, but were relatively inefficient, ranking 13th in expected points added per drive. They ranked 7th in total yards per game, 6th in pass yards per game, and 8th in red zone efficiency and points scored per game a season ago. Based on their offseason moves, I expect a similarly pass-heavy offense to maximize the talents of their primary contributors in space. On paper, those primary contributors should be Justin Jefferson, Hawkinson, and Addison. Defensively, expect a scheme designed to disrupt opposing drives via relentless pressure and blitzes, which is likely to result in elevated rates of cover 1 and cover 0 alignments from a cover 2 shell. That means veteran strong safety Harrison Smith is going to be busy, likely leaving 2021 fourth-round free safety Cameron Bynum and veteran big safety-slash-slot corner Byron Murphy in charge of the middle of the field behind the linebackers and 2022 fourth-round corner Caleb Evans and 2023 third-round corner Mekhi Blackman in increased rates of isolated coverage on the perimeter. With Dalvin no longer in town, this should be the Alexander Madison show out of the backfield. The biggest problem I see with that situation is that Madison is less of a player than Dalvin, and Dalvin averaged 0.74 fantasy points per opportunity, 51st in the league, and an 8.9% team target market share, 24th in the league, in this same offense last year, with fewer top-level athletes competing for work. We should expect the opportunity to be there for Madison after Dalvin saw the fifth-highest snap rate, 73.9%, and opportunity share, 74.6%, a season ago, but the efficiency could be a sore spot for Madison in 2023. The Vikings also averaged just 23.6 rush attempts per game a season ago, which ranked 28th in the league. But volume is king at the position, and Dalvin saw 264 carries and 56 targets in 2022, providing a nice blueprint of what to expect as far as workload goes for Madison this year. The matchup against the Buccaneers is not ideal, after they finished the 2022 season in the top half of the league in EPA per rush allowed, yards before contact per rush allowed, and rushes per touchdown. A healthy Vita Vea on the interior is one of the more immovable objects in the game currently. As mentioned above, the Vikings added the likeliest most pro-ready wide receiver from the 2023 class this offseason in Jordan Addison and re-signed TJ Hawkinson to a mega extension, giving this team one of the most dynamic trios of pass catchers in the league when added to Justin Jefferson. 
Jefferson should once again dominate the volume and production in this offense after leading the league in targets, receptions, and receiving yards a season ago, but the Vikings have an interesting mix of established veterans and youth behind Jefferson, enough to remain dynamic and borderline elite. Likeliest Game Flow The defensive starters for the Buccaneers are one of the most talented groups found in the league, but the team lacks depth up and down the defensive roster. That becomes less of an issue early in the season. The question here is whether or not the Vikings can establish success on offense early, enough to disrupt a game plan from Tampa Bay that should involve clock management, possession, and minimizing mistakes on offense. If the Vikings find offensive success, how will the Buccaneers respond? What if Baker Mayfield isn't as bad as the industry and field seems to think? What can become of this game environment should Mike Evans and or Chris Godwin beat man coverage against an aggressive defense? These are the questions that could win someone a GPP in Week 1. That said, the likeliest game flow here involves the Buccaneers doing enough defensively to allow their offense to simply try not to lose the game over the first three quarters of play. The Titans at the Saints kick off Sunday, September 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 41. Game Overview Derek Henry averaged 23.33 carries per game in games that were decided by 10 points or less in 2022 with five games of 28 or more totes during the 2022 season. The off-season acquisition of DeAndre Hopkins hints at a team more likely to tack on additional percentages to their pass rate, considering an offensive line almost unanimously ranked in the bottom three of the league. It will be interesting to see the run-pass breakdowns early in the year for the Titans, considering the changes to their personnel. The Saints begin the 2022 season without Alvin Kamara and likely without rookie third-round running back Kendra Miller. Jamal Williams is likely going to be extremely popular in Week 1 as a low-per-touch upside back in a difficult matchup against a team that bases its defensive identity on stopping the run. In a game with a low game total, I am more inclined to let the field chase a modest range of outcomes. Could Taysom Hill be utilized as a heavy contributor on the ground behind or alongside Williams? Both teams rank in the bottom half of the league over the previous two seasons in expected points per added drive. How Tennessee will try to win Mike Vrabel has been the head coach for the Titans for the previous five seasons. During that time, we've seen the same smash-mouth, in-your-face style football that we should expect heading into the 2023 season. That has meant an emphasis on stopping the run on defense through additional assets in the box, clogged lanes, and low blitz rates on defense, and a methodical offense designed to march the field with sporadic shots deep that are built off play action and the run. The biggest unknown surrounding this team heading into the regular season is their offensive line. No longer present are the staples along the line that we've grown comfortable seeing each week, like Taylor Lewin, Roger Saffold, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, and David Kessenberry. The new version of this offensive line is complete with a largely unproven cast that will be playing together for the first time this season. With an abridged preseason, a rookie first-round left guard, a former undrafted free agent center from 2020, and a former undrafted free agent right tackle from 2017, who is making the move from right guard this season, the range of outcomes as far as performance up front to begin the season is extremely wide. In other words, this unit is almost unanimously ranked as the bottom three unit to start the year. That said, I still expect the Titans to try to win games in a similar fashion to what we've grown accustomed to during the previous five seasons under Vrabel. 
and the matchup with the Saints does not necessarily bode well in that regard. We should also feel extremely comfortable in what to expect from Tennessee's run game. Yes, the team drafted rookie Ty J. Spears in the third round of this year's draft, but Derrick Henry is in the final year of his contract, and it is highly likely that he will no longer be with the team beyond the 2023 season. Whether that is through retirement, likeliest in my humble opinion, or free agency remains to be seen. From that perspective, I would think it's highly likely that Spears was drafted as more of an understudy rather than someone expected to take a large portion of Henry's work this coming year, leaving Henry as the de facto emphasis of the offense once more. The matchup on the ground is likely more difficult than the 2022 numbers would indicate after the Saints struggled through injuries and ineffective play along their defensive line and in their linebacker core last year. The Saints allowed a middling 4.5 yards per carry in 2022 after a stifling 3.7 in 2021, the latter of which led the league that season. The most interesting part of the discussion is all of that could be thrown out the window considering previous tendencies under Vrabel. Derrick Henry averaged 23.33 carries per game in games that were decided by 10 points or less in 2022, with five games of 20 carries or more. As in, the team is highly likely to start games with an offensive design built around Henry, and they are equally as likely to continue to ride him for as long as they remain within striking distance. The pass offense received a significant boost with the offseason acquisition of certified alpha wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, a move that will allow second-year wide receiver Traylon Burks to play a more natural route tree for his skill set as opposed to being forced into upside-limiting routes typically asked of an X-type receiver. As such, I expect to see more 6-9 to nine routes, dig, corner, post, and go, from Burks in addition to more upside-generating routes over the middle of the field, like slant and crossing routes. Expect Nook to continue to operate in the heart of the route tree, with comebacks, curls, outs, and digs his bread and butter. That said, and based on camp footage and preseason tendencies, we should see sporadic usage in the 7-9 to area of the route tree for Hopkins as well. Considering his contested catch prowess and elite hands, Hopkins' presence on this offense is likely to be a significant boost to the efficiency metrics of the Tennessee pass offense. Tight end Chigosium Unconquo received a lot of hype this offseason for his improvements as a blocker, which should allow the second-year tight end to develop into more of a complete player and see an increase to his modest 35.8% snap rate and 30.3% route participation from his rookie season. Tight end Trayvon Wesco and wide receiver Nick Westbrook-Ekine should soak up the majority of the remaining snaps as the team should be expected to play primarily from 11 and 12 personnel. How New Orleans will try to win The Saints offense gets a significant contributor back this year after supporting two rookie breakouts a season ago to varying degrees. Chris Olave is fresh off one of the most efficient rookie seasons over the previous 10 years, and undrafted free agent rookie Rashid Shahid proved he can be a capable slot downfield option on an NFL roster. The return to health of Michael Thomas and the off-season acquisition of quarterback Derek Carr gives this offense an interesting mix of downfield capabilities and relatively successful possession-style options. The team will start the season without running back Alvin Kamara due to suspension and likely be without third-round rookie back Kendra Miller after he suffered a hamstring injury in practice the week after the team's final preseason game. 
We also know the current coaching staff has shown a penchant for mega utility and mega troll tight end Taysom Hill, which could become an interesting angle in week one considering the state of the backfield. Left guard Trevor Penning, a promising prospect entering the league, played just 66 snaps during his rookie season due to injury. Left guard Andres Pete, center Eric McCoy, and right guard Ryan Ramchek are amongst the top 10 players at their respective positions and are established veterans. Right guard Cesar Ruiz is the biggest unknown along the offensive line, simply unable to fully translate his potential to consistent production to this point in his career. That said, the New Orleans offensive line should be thought of as a plus in the run game and a relative neutral in the pass game based on a combination of previous production and personnel available. That's an interesting starting point for the exploration of the run game due to the state of the backfield. Alvin Kamara's suspension and the hamstring injury to rookie Kendra Miller leave just offseason acquisition plotter Jamal Williams, second-year undrafted free agent Kirk Merritt, and recent practice squad additions on the roster. I have this sneaking suspicion that we might see Taysom Hill pick up additional work out of the backfield here. The Titans led the league in yards allowed per carry in 2022 at just 3.4 and finished the 2021 season ranked 6th at 3.9, indicating a clear emphasis on stopping the run. The return to health of wide receiver Michael Thomas and the status of the offensive depth chart should allow the Saints more fluidity as far as personnel groupings go to begin the season. Wide receivers Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Rashid Shahid, tight ends Juwan Johnson, Foster Moreau, Taysom Hill, and Jimmy Graham, and fullback Adam Prince should all see snaps on a weekly basis until the return of Alvin Kamara following his three-game suspension. As such, we're likely to see Jamal Williams, Michael Thomas, and Chris Olave as the only near-every-down skill position players to start the season, with Shahid, the tight ends, and Prentice rotated through situationally. The weakness of the Titans' defense is the result of a continued emphasis on stopping the run, which means additional assets in the box and middle of the field. That typically makes them susceptible to passing deep in what equates to cover one, even though the Titans rarely align in cover one pre-snap. That should allow opportunities for Olave and Shahid in man coverage throughout the game. Considering Derek Carr finished the 2022 season ranked fourth in average intended air yards per pass attempt, we could see opportunity for fireworks deep between those two players in this matchup. Likeliest Game Flow Considering the absence of Alvin Kamara, and the likely absence of Kendra Miller for the Saints, and the significant turnover along Tennessee's offensive line, in conjunction with previous coaching tendencies for each team, we're likeliest to see this game played to a good old-fashioned slugfest, with each team looking more towards ball control and defensive fundamentals than they are lighting up the scoreboard. As in, this game carries the third lowest game total on the week for a reason. That doesn't preclude us from targeting individuals from this game due to the relative concentration of each offense, but it would make game stacks and team stacks lose appeal. It is likely up to the Saints to generate momentum in this game environment, likeliest to come via a deep completion or touchdown to Chris Olave or Rashid Shahid. The Packers at the Bears kick off Sunday, September 10th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 44. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. Green Bay starts a new era and hopes to return to the playoffs with Jordan Love under center. Chicago has surrounded Justin Fields with speed and weapons as they look to make a run in the wide-open NFC North. 
Green Bay's defense ended 2022 on a tear and will look to pick up where they left off against a Chicago team that worked hard to shore up their offensive line this offseason. The excitement around the potential for both offenses in 2023 may have to be subdued for a week due to the matchups and expected game flow. How Green Bay Will Try to Win The departure of Aaron Rodgers brings the Packers a lot of questions as well as opportunities. For the first time in his career as head coach, Matt LaFleur can fully implement his offensive vision and potentially change some things that Rodgers demanded. All eyes will be on Jordan Love, who looked very good in limited preseason work and has had a lot of positive buzz throughout the offseason. Luckily for Love, he has a very good supporting cast, including an above-average offensive line, two capable running backs, and a far superior receiving core than the one they entered 2022 with. The Packers' offense should once again primarily revolve around their dynamic running back duo of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Those two combined for 25 to 30 touches on a weekly basis in 2022, and that seems like a relatively solid bet to continue this year, especially early in the season. The rest of the Packers' personnel seems pretty set in stone, as second-year receivers Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs operate as the top receiving options, and rookies Jaden Reed, wide receiver, and Luke Musgrave, tight end, appear to have locked up starting spots as well. Musgrave played almost every snap with the starters in the preseason and appears to have locked up a full-time role to start the year, a rare feat for a rookie tight end. Watson and Musgrave have explosive skill sets for their respective positions, while Dobbs and Reed are very technically sound receivers with reliable hands. It really is a group that complements each other very well. The Packers played at the slowest pace in the NFL in 2022, at 31 seconds per snap, and were still slow-paced with the starters on the field in preseason. While I do expect the pace to pick up for them as the season goes on and Love gets more comfortable early in the season, it seems likely they will continue a methodical approach. The Bears' defense was atrocious in 2022, but they made several key additions during free agency and the draft, which should make them a much more formidable opponent this year. The Packers are likely to focus on efficiency and play methodically in their season opener, with a balanced approach that uses all of their young weapons and reliable running backs. The Bears blitzed on less than 20% of their defensive plays in 2022, but it will be interesting to see if they dial up more pressure in this matchup to see what love is made of. How Chicago Will Try to Win Chicago ranked dead last in the NFL in pass rate over expectation in 2022 as they built an offense around their dual-threat quarterback in Justin Fields. They also ranked 28th in the league in pace of play, as they consistently bled the clock and didn't push the tempo. Those two factors resulted in the Bears ranking 30th in the NFL in plays per game. That being said, Chicago was near the top of the league in explosive plays, runs over 10 yards and passes over 20 yards. Likewise, despite some questions about him as a passer, Justin Fields was one of the top-rated QBs from Week 6 to 17 last year. This year, the Bears have added a lot of weapons and continue their offensive evolution and leverage the unique skill set of Fields. The Bears were able to steal DJ Moore from the Panthers when they traded away the number one overall pick, and Moore's presence should single-handedly alter the makeup of this Bears offense. Moore is an elite receiver with good hands, a diverse route tree, good ball skills, and an ability to make plays after the catch. He has flashed at times throughout his career, but is now in a position to be truly the cornerstone of a team's passing offense for the first time since entering the league. 
His presence also moves Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney into complementary roles that they are much better suited for. Moore has already made his presence known, with multiple 50-plus yard receptions in limited preseason work. One of those plays came on a screen pass, and another was an intermediate route where he made several players miss after the catch. Mooney should be used to take the lid off defenses, while Claypool provides a big body for contested catches and specific matchups. Cole Komet signed a large contract extension and was a favorite target for Fields last season, although his target rate is sure to drop with Moore in town. Meanwhile, the backfield appears set to feature Khalil Herbert to start the year, with rookie Rashawn Johnson taking some work as well. Herbert has been highly efficient throughout his career on limited touches, but he is getting his first chance to be the guy in 2023. The Packers' defense could be one of the top units in the league if they put things together this year. They are loaded with talent and return pretty much everyone this year. They finished the season holding their last five opponents to 20 points or less and seemed to figure it out, then added edge rusher Lucas Van Ness with the 12th overall pick in the 2023 draft. Green Bay's defense blitzed at the fifth highest rate in 2022 and will likely try to bring pressure on fields again in this game. While the Bears' offense made some big plays in the preseason, their passing game certainly has some work to do and may struggle with the Packers' formidable front. The Packers' run defense was gashed repeatedly in 2022, and the Bears will almost certainly look to exploit that edge once again. While we should expect the Bears to open things up in 2023, this may not be the matchup where it makes the most sense to start airing things out. Likeliest Game Flow Both of these offenses have a lot of potential, and I expect them to take a big step forward this season. However, the dynamics around this game seem to point to this not being the week we see those things come to fruition. Both teams operate at a methodical pace and rely heavily on their running games, with positive matchups on the ground. The additions of weapons for both offenses should serve the purpose in this game primarily of keeping defenses honest and running lanes wide. The main paths to increase scoring would be... Packer blitzes not getting home, and Fields making big plays with his legs or on downfield throws. The Bears' secondary getting burned deep on shot plays to Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs. Early jitters in the season opener by one of the quarterbacks resulting in turnovers and short fields for the opponent. All things considered, this is a game where the most likely game flow is another slow-moving NFC North battle, but also one that has multiple paths to turning up the scoring. Said another way, Neither of these teams will be entering this game looking for a shootout, but both are equipped with the weapons to turn up their aggressiveness if the situation calls for it. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Raiders at the Broncos. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 45. Game Overview by Mike Johnson The Raiders have been adding healthy bodies to their offensive roster over the last month, while Denver has steadily lost weapons before a single game has been played. Jimmy Garoppolo has shown throughout his career that he can get the ball to his playmakers and lead a competitive team. How Las Vegas Will Try to Win The Raiders' offense in 2022 flowed primarily through Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams, and we should expect a similar approach this year now that Jacobs has signed his one-year deal to return to the team. 
Derek Carr is out, and Jimmy Garoppolo is in at quarterback for the Raiders. But those two players have similar playing styles, and Garoppolo should be well-versed in the offense considering his past connection with Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels when both were in New England. Garoppolo is a prototypical game manager at quarterback, unlikely to make plays with his legs, and hesitant to push the ball down the field. But he has been very successful at getting the ball to the right players and letting them go to work during his career, as that was basically the approach he had in San Francisco. Las Vegas ranked in the bottom half of the NFL in both pace of play and pass rate over expectation in 2022, trends that I would have to see change to believe in 2023. From a personnel standpoint, the Raiders should have a pretty clear usage tree. Jacobs should be heavily featured in both the running game and with some targets out of the backfield. The one caveat I will add is that I wouldn't be shocked if second-year running back Zamir White mixes in a little more than usual in this game, as Jacobs missed most of the training camp due to a holdout, and they may look to ease him in a bit. For the passing game, Devontae Adams led the league with a 32.6% target share in 2022 and doesn't seem like he has the necessary competition to push that number under 30 this year. After trading away Darren Waller, the Raiders selected tight end Michael Mayer in the second round of the draft and added wide receiver Jacoby Myers to the tight end Austin Hooper in free agency. Jacobs, Adams, and Myers seemed destined to be on the field for close to every snap. To fill out the skill players, it seems like a rotation of Mayer, Hooper, and Hunter Renfro will mix and match based on formation, personnel packages, and game situations. Mayer should eventually take over the tight end position, but he and Hooper were rotating a lot in the preseason, and there tends to be a steep learning curve for rookie tight ends. In any scenario, the Jacobs-Adams-Myers trio is likely to account for upwards of 75% of the team's targets plus touches. The Broncos' defense had a clear path of least resistance in 2022, as their pass defense was top five in the league, while their run defense ranked in the bottom half. They have a young stud cornerback in Patrick Sertain, but that didn't stop Devontae Adams from dropping lines of 9 for 101 and 0 and 7 for 141 and 2 in his two matchups with Denver. The Raiders are on the road here and breaking in a new quarterback. The game plan will be very straightforward with a balanced approach and condensed usage. We may see a few wrinkles from Josh McDaniels, but the Raiders should clearly be relying on their studs here and profile as a team that looks to methodically move the ball downfield by moving the chains rather than taking the top off defenses, especially in this week one road matchup. How Denver will try to win. Head coach Sean Payton makes his return to the sideline with the Broncos this season as he attempts to salvage Russell Wilson's career. Nathaniel Hackett will, rightfully, take a lot of blame for the 2022 train wreck that was the Denver Broncos. But make no mistake about it that Wilson looks as close to washed as we have ever seen from a quarterback with his credentials. Wilson set career lows in completion percentage, adjusted yards per attempt, touchdowns, and QB rating as he checked every box for QB inefficiency by finding that elusive combination of low accuracy and lack of explosiveness. Looking at it from an optimistic perspective, Wilson probably had his two best games of the season after Hackett was fired, and Sean Payton is undoubtedly the best offensive coach Wilson has ever worked with in the NFL. The Broncos' backfield should feature both Javante Williams, who is returning from a torn ACL, and Sam J. Pirine, who signed in free agency after a solid run with the Bengals. 
There are also rumors that undrafted rookie running back Jaleel McLaughlin could mix into the team's plans a bit early in the season. That would make some sense as the team would be wise to somewhat limit what they put on Williams' plate in his return to the regular season action, and Peyton's offenses have always featured a lot of running back usage during his time in New Orleans. Jerry Judy should be the top receiving option for the Broncos this season, but he is out for this game, which leaves Cortland Sutton and rookie Marvin Mims as the primary receivers for Denver. Last year, the Raiders' pass defense was abysmal, ranking near the bottom of the league in most metrics. Sutton and Mims both profile as above-average downfield threats, so it wouldn't shock me at all if Peyton dials up some deep throws for Wilson to try to kickstart his 2023 season and establish some confidence going forward. It should be noted that prior to last season, Wilson was known for throwing one of the better deep balls in the league. We should also expect the Broncos to have a high rate of 12 personnel usage, meaning two tight ends on the field, due to their injury-depleted receiving core. In addition to Judy, the Broncos lost Tim Patrick and K.J. Hamler during training camp, leaving them with only two of their top five wide receiver options. That dynamic should raise the involvement of second-year tight end Greg Dulcich, who played behind veteran Adam Troutman in the preseason, but profiles as a seam-stretching and intermediate target that can replace some of the things Denver was going to rely on Judy for. The overall outlook for this Broncos offense should be a traditional approach, with balanced offense and looking to mix in some easier throws for Wilson while getting back to some of the things he relied on when he was in his prime, extending plays with his legs, play-action shots downfield, and setting themselves up in short down and distance situations after consistently facing third and longs, and checking down during 2022. The running backs and tight ends expect to be heavily involved, with the wide receivers having opportunities for some high-leverage plays against a defense that has a long ways to go to prove their competence beyond elite edge rusher Max Crosby. Likeliest Game Flow The Raiders had the Broncos' number last year, although that was one of the lone bright spots for their 2022 season. Through 10 games, the Raiders had a 3-7 record, with two of their three victories being against the Broncos, including a thrilling overtime win in Denver. This year's Week 1 matchup in Denver presents a unique challenge for the Raiders. Due to the altitude and heat early in the year, visiting opponents often have a lot of issues with conditioning, and Denver has had a significant home field advantage over the last decade or so, as new CBA rules limit how much players can be pushed during the offseason, and therefore creates a slight lag in players getting in game shape. I bring up this fact for this game because the Raiders' approach of relying heavily on two players could take a hit to efficiency given those early season factors. The lack of training camp for Jacobs also creates a potential compounding effect. How effective will he be handling 25-plus touches at this altitude and heat? It will be interesting to see. Neither team seems likely to push the tempo early in this game, and the natural tendencies of both play callers and quarterbacks is conservative meaning for the scoring to pick up in this game, it will take consistent efficiency and sustained drives. The Broncos' home field advantage and superior defense gives them a slight upper hand here, although the Raiders have superior high-end skill players with the ability to take over the game. A close game well into the second half is likely, with neither team likely to be forced too far out of their comfort zone prior to the fourth quarter. The Dolphins at the Chargers kick off Sunday, September 10th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 49.5. Game Overview by Mike Johnson This game features two teams who were near the top of the league in pass rate in 2022 and also have reasons why they may actually become more aggressive this year. The Dolphins' offense projects to be much more concentrated than the Chargers. 
Using last year's statistics, both defenses were most susceptible in the area that the other team is built to best attack. Miami's running game and the Chargers' passing game are in good spots here. These teams had a lower scoring matchup last season, but this still profiles as the premier week one matchup in terms of shootout potential. How Miami will try to win. Despite all the rumors around running backs coming to Miami this summer, the team stuck with what they had and are already down a man as Jeff Wilson headed to the IR for the first four games of the season. This team was absolutely electric when Tua Tagovailoa played last season, and he is fully healthy and ready to go for this Week 1 matchup. A cross-country road trip should be no problem for the Dolphins, with plenty of rest time heading into the game. Head coach Mike McDaniel will be ready to go for this one, and should enter the game with a mindset that they will need to put up a good amount of points to have a chance to win. McDaniel has an aggressive mindset for every game, but the fact that he knows his opponent can be explosive all but guarantees an aggressive game plan for Miami from the opening kickoff. The Dolphins' usage should be relatively concentrated. Jeff Wilson is out, and rookie running back Devin Arcane is still raw and doesn't profile as a heavy usage guy, leaving Raheem Mostert in a featured role to start the year. Considering Mostert's likelihood of a featured role and the high target shares of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, it's relatively easy to project that trio to combine for 70-80% to 80% of the Dolphins' offense in Week 1. Mike McDaniel came from San Francisco, and his offense is built in many ways upon running the game, which opens up everything else. The Chargers' defense has been near the bottom of the league against the run for the last couple of years and is basically built in an analytical way knowing that passing is the way the league is now so they are okay with giving up some ground production. The issue for them is going to be giving up chunk plays to a well-designed scheme like the Dolphins bring to town. Again, the Dolphins' scheme mirrors what Kyle Shanahan does with the 49ers, stretching the defense both vertically and horizontally and forcing them to defend the entire field. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell are movable chess pieces that will be featured all over the field, especially with Miami a little thin at running back. For all intents and purposes, we know what Miami is going to do. They are going to heavily feature three players and use misdirection and play-action concepts to create confusion in the defense. They are going to be aggressive early in the game as their head coach is very sharp and looks to maximize points instead of just trying to hold serve. They are going to try to use the aggressiveness of a Chargers defense that blitzed over 30% of their plays last season against them. They are going to do all of these things in a variety of creative ways, and given that this is the first week of the season, we'll probably have some new wrinkles we haven't seen yet. Given the injury issues of Tua Tagovailoa, along with the pass rush and blitz tendencies of the Chargers, we should expect the passing game to focus on getting the ball out quickly, especially early in the game. How Los Angeles will try to win the Chargers' offense was near the top of the league in 2022 in both pass rate and tempo. However, their offensive approach was very lacking in a vertical element as offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi focused on a dink-and-dunk passing game for the most part, despite the elite arm talent that quarterback Justin Herbert possesses. While we shouldn't give Lombardi a full pass, both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams missed some time and the Chargers lacked a lot of speed on the perimeter. This offseason, the Chargers took big steps to rectify both issues, with the hiring of offensive coordinator Kellen Moore and the selection of wide receiver Quinton Johnson in the first round of the NFL draft. 
Moore was unceremoniously discharged from his position as OC for the Cowboys because head coach Mike McCarthy thought Moore was too aggressive and threw too much despite the Cowboys being a top-ranked offense any time Dak Prescott was healthy the last two years. So it's safe to say this move is a big upgrade for Justin Herbert and the passing game. Entering this season with a full complement of weapons and a little more vertical mindset, this Chargers offense could be set for a liftoff. Enter Week 1 where the Dolphins' defense enters town after ranking 25th in DVOA against the pass in 2022. They acquired star cornerback Jalen Ramsey this offseason, but he is injured and out indefinitely. They also drafted cornerback Cam Smith in the second round of the NFL draft, but it's a little early to expect a rookie second rounder to be changing the defense's outlook. The Chargers have a high-end offensive line that should be able to give Herbert time to work. The Chargers' offense will be one to watch early in the season as we adjust to new personnel and scheme. When fully healthy, they have a plethora of weapons to be accounted for that can operate in all areas of the field. Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Gerald Everett all create matchup problems in the short areas of the field while also providing yards after catch potential. Word out of training camp has been that Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have been moving around the formation much more than they have in the past. The Dolphins' defense is now led by Vic Fangio, which will lead to some pretty significant schematic changes. First, Fangio runs a 3-4 defensive scheme, as opposed to the 4-3 base alignment previously used in Miami. Second, in Fangio's last season as Broncos defensive coordinator, they ran the most plays in the NFL with a two-high-safety look whereas Miami was last in the league in that metric last season. According to Sports Info Solutions, Fangio's defenses have also never ranked higher than 13th in blitz rate, which will mark a stark change from the Dolphins' 2022 defense, which ranked 3rd in blitz rate at 33.3%. All of this to say, the Dolphins will enter the year focused on playing heavy amounts of zone coverage and limiting explosive plays while the Chargers are entering the year focused on increasing explosive plays. It will be interesting to see which side is successful, but the Chargers certainly have the weapons to adjust and attack underneath if needed. Likeliest Game Flow This game profiles as the most likely shootout of Week 1 for a variety of reasons. Only nine teams in the NFL threw the ball at a higher rate than expected based on their game situations in 2022. Two of those teams are facing each other in this matchup. The Chargers have a new offensive coordinator who is expected to unleash the full abilities of Justin Herbert. Miami was most explosive and efficient offensively when Tua Tagovailoa was healthy. Both play callers have aggressive mindsets and will be looking to make explosive plays and maximize points from the opening kick. The Dolphins are the team most likely to spark this game with explosive plays, as their scheme is complex enough that their misdirection and speed have a good chance of creating confusion and or a busted coverage in the season's opening week. Miami will be prepared to limit the Chargers' explosive plays, but Herbert should have plenty of time to throw and they should be able to move the ball very well. It will just come down to whether or not they can convert those drives into touchdowns. Looking at the range of outcomes, this game is highly unlikely to stay under 40 combined points, with a realistic shot at going over 60. Both teams will play fast and aggressively, but explosive plays from the Dolphins and red zone efficiency from the Chargers are the key factors that will determine how much scoring this exciting matchup gives us. The Eagles at the Patriots kick off Sunday, September 10th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 45. Game Overview by Mike Johnson
The Eagles' offense is positioned to improve on what was already one of the top units in the league in 2022. Usage in the Philadelphia backfield will be the top storyline for fantasy football as we look to project the team for future weeks. New England has nowhere to go but up after a disastrous season and should benefit from stability and familiarity with offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien. Expect the Patriots to use more two tight end sets this season and to rotate their backs more than they did in 2022. Both defenses look primed to be very good this season and are loaded with talent as well as great coaching. This game has paths to being a sneaky shootout that most people will overlook. How Philadelphia will try to win. The Eagles' offense was an absolute juggernaut in 2022, finishing in the top three in the league by almost any metric you can find. The Eagles may have the best offensive line in the league, and have a gifted rushing quarterback, which led them to having the NFL's number one ranked rushing offense by DVOA. Adding to that, they have two elite wide receivers and one of the more underrated tight ends in the league. Jalen Hurts has ascended to a truly elite level, and I believe his best is still in front of him. For as impressive as the Eagles season was in 2022, most people probably still don't understand how good it could have been. Several times during the season, the Eagles' offense absolutely pummeled their opponent in the first half of the game to the point where they basically just played the second half with the goal of getting out in one piece. Realistically, the Eagles' offense has the potential to reach another level entirely this year simply by being pushed more in what should be a more challenging schedule. As we look at how the Eagles' offense will operate, the largest unknown variable is their backfield. Last year, Miles Sanders was the clear lead back on early downs, while Kenneth Gainwell filled in on passing downs, and Boston Scott mixed in to give breathers and play-in mop-up duty at the end of the blowouts. This year's personnel and training camp reports paints a potentially very different picture. Sanders is gone, and the additions of Rashad Penny and Andre Swift made it seem like the Eagles would once again feature a backfield with defined roles. The logical conclusion was that Penny would fill the Sanders role with Scott as his direct backup, and Swift Gainwell would fight it out for the passing down role. As things have played out, however, it appears possible that Swift and Gainwell are leading the backfield as we enter the season. I have felt that this was the best approach for the Eagles since they acquired Swift, but it is exciting to hear the reports that it actually might happen. If Swift and Gainwell operate in a 1A, 1B type of situation, with both being used on early downs and passing situations, this Eagles offense becomes an absolute nightmare to deal with. Watching Eagles games last year, one clear issue that they had was their predictability based on personnel. Having backs who are multidimensional on the field at all times could be the skeleton key to this offense becoming truly unstoppable. Philadelphia operated at a brisk pace when games were close last season, and the emergence of Swift and Gainwell to lead the backfield should really let them put their foot on the gas now. This matchup with the Patriots' defense in Foxborough should be no pushover. Despite a disappointing season in the win column in 2022, the defense performed at a high level and operated as a top 10 unit against both the run and the pass. That unit returns almost everyone, and New England used their first three picks on defense in the NFL draft, including a first-round pick on highly touted cornerback Christian Gonzalez. While this is a tough matchup, the Eagles' offense averaged 35 points per game during their three-game playoff run against the Giants, 49ers, and Chiefs. The Patriots notoriously play man coverage at one of the highest rates in the league, closing in on 50% of their defensive snaps, and the addition of Watson, who excels in man coverage, is a good sign that they won't be changing that trend anytime soon.
Watson had better be ready because A.J. Brown is the type of player who can absolutely destroy man coverage. Likewise, heavy rates of man coverage leave a defense vulnerable against running quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts. I expect an aggressive game plan from the Eagles as they look to finish what they started last year. They are a team that can put up points on anyone, and given their fast pace and high pass rate in 2022, along with the massive contract they gave Hurts this offseason, this is a team who is going to come out swinging. How New England will try to win The Patriots' offense in 2022 was an absolute train wreck. There is a saying about trying to do things with one hand tied behind your back, but Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running the offense was the equivalent of being hogtied. New England's offense was in the bottom half of the league in rushing, passing, and tempo, averaging 29.6 seconds per snap. The triple crown for boring offense, if you will. This year, however, familiar face Bill O'Brien returns to town, and while he certainly doesn't belong in charge of a franchise again, after how his Texans tenure ended, he is someone who knows the Patriots' system and has a great background of success working with Bill Belichick. The Patriots' personnel appears to have taken shape after a long list of names entered camp with the potential to earn a role. The signing of Ezekiel Elliott and the decision to only keep two running backs on the initial 53-man roster signals to me that the Patriots have a lot of faith in Zeke, and they also will likely use both running backs together rather than giving Ramondre Stevenson a bell cow role. While New England did shift to a featured back situation for much of 2022 with Stevenson, we have decades of evidence of Belichick's teams preferring to use multiple backs, and Bill O'Brien's return to New England likely signals some changes back to how things were, when they were not a joke of an offense. In the receiving court, Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, and Kendrick Bourne have cemented themselves as the top three options, with Juju likely to man the slot and the other two outside. Meanwhile, the buzz out of New England for much of the summer has been the use of 12 personnel, two tight ends. Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki are both extremely capable players who have flashed at various times in their career. While this is no Gronk-Hernandez duo, Henry profiles perfectly as a steady inline tight end, and Gusecki's lack of blocking prowess makes him ideal as the move tight end in a Bill O'Brien offense. I would expect both to be heavily involved and wouldn't be surprised if they are both in the top four on the team in targets when all is said and done. Facing an Eagles team that is clearly going to put up points, the Patriots will want to score points early and try to control the game. This Eagles pass rush is no joke, and the last thing they will want to do is fall behind and let them tee off. The Eagles had the number one pass defense in the NFL and had an outstanding interior defensive line rotation. My expectation for the Patriots' offensive approach will be a healthy dose of targets for the tight ends from 12 personnel and some short area passing game work for the running backs, with the perimeter receivers doing a lot of wind sprints and seeing very few targets. I also expect that New England will throw some no-huddle in the mix early in the game, something they did a few times this preseason, in an attempt to catch the Eagles' defense off guard and steal some early points. I doubt the Patriots play with a fast tempo throughout a close game, but early on, in an attempt to grab the lead, it would make a ton of sense. Likeliest Game Flow The Eagles' offense is such a juggernaut that it seems highly unlikely that they won't score points in the first half of this game. With that in mind, the likely game flow here will rely heavily on what New England can muster on the offensive end. The Patriots have historically performed very well with extra preparation time, a testament to their coaching and system, and they have had plenty of time to get ready for this game. 
I expect some early tempo, a rejuvenated home field crowd, and a great early game script to allow New England to put together a couple of first-half scoring drives. Assuming that to be the case, and knowing what we know about Philadelphia's personnel and tendencies, this game has a lot more potential than the game total and public perception would imply. Yes, the Patriots have a tough defense playing at home that is very capable of slowing opponents down. Yes, the Patriots' offense lacks firepower and seems unlikely to be a group that puts a bunch of points on a good Eagles defense. However, when you dig a little deeper, you will find one team that wants to play fast and another team that may have to play fast to have a chance. My overall point here is that the likeliest game flow for this matchup is a lot more up in the air than most people will give it credit for. Everyone is going to expect the Patriots to turn it into an ugly, low-scoring game or the Eagles to blow out a team that struggled to score points last season. In reality, there are a lot of ways this one could go, and a high-scoring game is very much in play. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Rams at the Seahawks. Kickoff Sunday, September 10th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 46.5. Game Overview So much of this game's outlook will depend on the health and availability of Cooper Cup. Seattle's offense was one of the bigger surprises of 2022, and looks to build on their playoff bid from a year ago. The Seahawks may lean heavily on 12 personnel in this game, due to their personnel situation and the lack of explosiveness on the other side of the ball. Los Angeles will be hoping to keep this game low-scoring and ugly to give themselves a chance in the fourth quarter. Seattle is most likely to trust their defense and home field to pull out a win against an inferior on-paper opponent, albeit one that they will respect and who knows them very well. How Los Angeles Will Try to Win The Rams are an interesting case study of the effects of the win-now mentality of sacrificing draft capital and long-term stability in the interest of winning a championship. While they were able to win their Super Bowl two years ago, they had a steep decline last year with a 5-12 record and are once again facing an uphill battle in 2023. The Rams have one of the youngest rosters in the NFL, and their core offensive players are the aging Matthew Stafford, who has had retirement rumors following him for a few months, and 30-year-old Cooper Cup, who recently visited a specialist for a second opinion on his hamstring injury that has had him out for a few weeks now. Obviously, the season is a blank slate, but it's hard to be very optimistic about the Rams entering this year. Cup will almost certainly miss this game, but we at least have a sample from the end of last season to see how they will operate without him, as Cup also missed the last eight games of 2022. During that stretch, the Rams went 2-6 and six and struggled to find their way offensively, scoring more than 20 points only twice. During the last few weeks of the season, Cam Akers became the focal point of the offense as he averaged over 23 opportunities per game in the last three weeks and played 100% of the snaps in their last game of the season. The buzz in training camp has been that second-year running back Kyron Williams will share the load this year by taking a lot of the passing game work and maybe mixing in for some early down snaps as well. That usage breakdown will be one of the more interesting storylines to watch early in the year for the Rams to learn how they may approach the season. Assuming Cup misses this game, which feels like a near certainty at this point, the Rams are likely to approach the game with a balanced and conservative approach. 
Given the timing of this Week 1 matchup and the familiarity of their opponent in Seattle, we may see a few gimmicky plays or downfield shots looking to exploit known defensive tendencies. But the Rams' best chance of winning this game is not getting into a shootout. Last year without Cup, Van Jefferson and Tyler Higbee became the top options in a similarly conservative offense. This year, it appears that rookie Puka Nakua and second-year diminutive receiver Tutu Atwell will fill the second and third wide receiver roles, and both should be busy with Cup out. Veteran Ben Skoranek should also get some time, although it definitely sounds like his role will be scaled back from what we saw in 2022, as the Rams play the long game by giving reps to the young guys. Overall, what we are looking at is a keep-it-close-until-the-fourth-quarter-and-hope-things-break-right approach. Akers should get plenty of touches, although his efficiency behind an offensive line that once again projects to be one of the worst in the league has to be in question. Atwell and Williams seem likely to be mixed in for some screens and design touches in the short areas of the field as creative extensions of the running game. Meanwhile, Higby, Jefferson, and Nakua are likely the main targets in the intermediate areas of the field. Seattle's notorious cover three defense, along with the conservative approach of the Rams, will likely keep them from taking many downfield shots. But when they do, it will almost certainly be to Jefferson. How Seattle will try to win. After years of the let Russ cook narrative surrounding the Seahawks offense, Russell Wilson left town and they promptly became a top 10 team in the league in terms of both pace and pass rate over expectation. The Seahawks seem to be ready to take that approach to another level with the drafting of Jackson Smith in Jigba in the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft. But JSN seems likely to miss this game with a wrist injury sustained in training camp. Assuming JSN remains out, the Seahawks' player usage becomes a bit more predictable. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett combined for 50% of the team's targets in 2022, one of the few duos in the league to reach that threshold, each having well over a 90% route participation rate. Metcalf was the more involved player, and he has the better physical profile, making him the likeliest to be the focal point of the passing game in a given week. That being said, both players had a lot of success against the Rams last year, and the Los Angeles secondary projects to be even worse this year after some departures, including All-Pro CB Jalen Ramsey. After Metcalf and Lockett, the Seahawks' receiving group is extremely thin in terms of pedigree and experience. That and the lack of a threat from the Rams' offense could lead to an increase in a two-tight-end personnel for Seattle, as they condense their passing game usage and look to ride their running game a bit more. Speaking of the running game, the Seahawks now have taken a running back in the second round of the draft in consecutive years. This year, Zach Charbonnet joins Kenneth Walker, and both backs should be busy in this season-opening matchup. The Rams still have Aaron Donald, and they rank near the top of the league against the run in 2022, but they have lost a lot of personnel that made them one of those top units. Donald will undoubtedly get double and triple teamed until other players prove they deserve more attention from opponents. Seattle's offensive line is above average, and Donald is unlikely to single-handedly ruin the game plan like he may have two or three years ago. We should expect Walker to lead the backfield after a solid rookie season, but Charbonnet should be very active as well. Walker had some big plays in 2022, but he also struggled to consistently gain positive yards and was stuffed for very short gains more often than you would like to see. Charbonnet's profile is a little more suited for passing game work, and he is a steadier producer that can consistently turn short runs into 3-5 to five yards, although he doesn't have anything close to Walker's explosiveness. 
All things considered, these two should complement each other very well, and given the injury issues for the Rams and the expected absence of JSN, I would expect upwards of 30 combined touches to be in order for the backfield. Likeliest Game Flow These two teams faced each other to end the 2022 regular season, and the Seahawks needed a win to get in the playoffs. What resulted was a bit of a slugfest and low-scoring game, with Seattle winning 19-16 in overtime. The Rams have lost some pieces since then, but gained Matthew Stafford. A similar approach from both teams is likely, as Pete Carroll's bird-in-hand mentality will simply be very hard to shake. While Seattle has shown that they are happy to open things up offensively and trust Geno Smith, the Rams are likely to be very conservative in this game, and the Seahawks should know their home field advantage and superior personnel should give them an upper hand. And I would expect Carroll to not do much that could sacrifice the edge and let the Rams get out to a lead. Both defenses played zone at a high rate in 2022 and are designed to limit big plays from opponents. The Seahawks also blitzed at one of the lowest rates in the league, and given the poor Rams offensive line and lack of threats on the perimeter, there is little reason to believe they would dial up more pressure here. Those facts combined with the offensive situation for the Rams make it highly likely that this turns into a game of field position, long drives, and field goals. The Seahawks are far more likely to turn those drives into touchdowns due to having more threats for explosive plays and more options in the red zone. But the most likely outcome for this game is a slower-paced game that is low-scoring heading into halftime with the Seahawks gradually pulling away in the second half.